Well, good morning, church. My name is Derek Joseph, and I am the pastoral intern still here at ZF. Today, we are in the last sermon of our Advent series, and uh, some of you who are more ah, attentive to details, let's say, might say, wait a minute, yesterday was Christmas. And to you, I would just say, yep. Anyway, so I looked up the word Advent on the internet, um, and I found two things. One, there's a lot of pictures of candles on the internet. And, and two, the word Advent means beginning or arrival. And so that left me thinking, what, what should we think about the day after Christmas? And so here's my thought. What did Jesus start? All right? What is this the Advent of? To say it like we do at ZF, Jesus started a community of worshipers on mission. And so this morning, we're going to look at the advent of mission. And this happened in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 41. It's Acts 2, 1 to 41. It's on page 909 in the Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you don't have a Bible to read, we would love it if you would take that Bible home and read it. And if you don't, I will take it as a personal slight. I'm just kidding. Maybe. All right. Here are the two main points of Acts chapter 2. The first main point of Acts chapter 2 is in verse 36. Know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. All right. Know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. And here's the second main point of Acts chapter 2. All Christians are prophets. All right? All Christians are prophets. And I say that because it's provocative and it's true. Now, Acts 2 is long, and so we're going to be looking at it in seven stages. And uh, that's the outline, if you you like that sort of thing. Uh, But really, we're going to be focusing on those two main points— Know for certain God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, and two, all Christians are prophets. So let me pray, and we will get started. Father in heaven, you have blessed us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us all now to proclaim what you've done. And it's because your Son now stands at your right hand that we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's start looking at these seven stages in the Advent of Mission. Right, the first stage is a gathering, all right, a gathering, and that's in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. All right, Pente- Pentecost was one of the festivals on Israel's calendar. It was a harvest thing. But what's really important is that this tells us that what happened here happened a week after the disciples saw Jesus ascend physically into heaven. So on Pentecost, they were all together in one place, And chapter 1, verse 15, tells us that the they, the people that were gathered, were the apostles and all the people that had believed in Jesus, about 120 people who had seen Jesus total. And they were unified. They weren't unified based on demographic. They were poor and rich, anti-Rome and pro-Rome. They were old and young, men and women. Some of the apostles had their moms there. I mean, can you imagine grabbing a group of guys and having a group of guys come together and saying, hey guys, let's go hang out and let's invite our moms. 
So this, this, wasn't, this wasn't demographic unity, okay? So why were these people actually together? Well, chapter 1, verse 14 tells us it was prayer. Prayer got them together. It was prayer, not eating, not singing, not catchphrase, prayer. Now, I took a look at the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, which, by the way, you should all read. It's 30 pages. And each, each page is like a full chapter, so you can read it and feel like you really accomplished something. It's like, I read a 30-page book. But the first thing that it says in the Baptist Confession of Faith about gathered Christian worship is about prayer. And that makes sense. 1 Timothy 2 says the first thing that's most important when we get together is prayer. So these, these 120 people had gathered together to pray. Well, about what? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't random. Like, it wasn't like James was like, hey, can you pray about my business problems? And Mary was like, hey, I've got an upcoming surgery. Could we pray about that? And those are fine things to pray for. But that wasn't the point of their praying. Jesus had said that he would send his spirit to advance his kingdom. And so they were asking for God to send his spirit on them. They were asking God to advance his kingdom, his mission. And that makes sense. When, when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, how did he teach them? Our Father in heaven, sanctify your name. May your kingdom come. The first things Jesus said we should ask God for are, one, God, glorify your name. Two, God, advance your kingdom. And that should control how we pray. And just a few suggestions about what that might look like in your life. You can, you can use missionary prayer letters. You can use something like joshuaproject.com. You can write down names of people in your circles that don't know Jesus. Ask people to pray with you. Commit, gather, and pray. And that's what these 120 people were unified, gathered to do. It was to pray. That brings us to stage two. All right, what happened in stage two? Well, the Spirit arrived. All right, the Spirit arrived. They were praying, right? And suddenly, the room went crazy. There was a deafening noise. There was wind. There was fire. This is verses two and three. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. All right, tongues that looked like fire appeared, and each one settled on each person in the room. The, the 120 would have remembered when God had, a couple thousand years before, given his covenant to Israel. Fire descended from heaven onto Mount Sinai. There was thunder, there was lightning. And then God, to the whole nation, spoke the Ten Commandments. He spoke the covenant to Israel. And now, at this point, fire had fallen once again. Fiery tongues rested on each person in the room. And then God started making every person there speak in languages they did not know. This is verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, well, what happens when a person is filled with the Spirit? Oh, the Bible doesn't say that speaking in languages like this miracle here is normal. But we do see 99% of the time in the Bible when somebody's filled with the Spirit, they 
proclaim Jesus publicly. So for example, 30 years or so before this, Mary was pregnant with Jesus, and she went and visited her cousin Elizabeth. And then suddenly, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she shouted this. This is in Luke 1, 42 and 43. She exclaimed with a loud shout, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child in your womb, and who am I that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me?' All right, what did the Spirit make Elizabeth do? She shouted, "'Jesus is the Lord, the King, the Savior.'" That's what the Holy Spirit does when he fills somebody. And that is exactly what happened at Pentecost. Peter, the bombastic, loudmouthed apostle, he started proclaiming Jesus as Lord. And so did the quiet, shy person in the corner who had just come to pray. Every one of them proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, God God didn't promise that he'd do this miracle about the languages again. This was, after all, the advent, the beginning of mission. But the Spirit does cause his people to proclaim Christ boldly, publicly. And so here's a question to think about. Who, who's our public? Who's your public? Let's get together and pray for that group of people. Let's ask God for opportunities to, to talk about the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and is Lord. Remember, when, when we go into public, we go as Christians. We go as people that have a message. And we go that way because the Spirit is here, and He's real. The Spirit has arrived. All right, That was stage two of the advent of mission. And then there was stage three. The public reacted. All right, This was the public's reaction. Now, thousands of Jews had gathered in Jerusalem for the holidays. They'd come from all over the empire. So we see in verse 4, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And they suddenly heard people speaking their languages. This is verse 6. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. The city gathered around the church, and they were utterly shocked at this language miracle. Verses 7 through 11 say this, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They heard all these languages. By the way, it's one important thing you learn in seminary is pronunciation. Learning how to pronounce all these things I just read. Anyway, the the city was in total shock. This is verses 12 and 13. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. All right, so some people are asking at this language miracle, what in the world's going on? And, and some people are saying, ah, the idiots are drunk on the cheap stuff. And friends, as Christians, as prophets, we should expect that sort of response. 
I mean, as Christians, we tell people we worship a man who is God, who is murdered, who is alive again from the dead, and who is Lord of everything. We should expect people to think we're nuts. We tell people that when we're not scared at the risk of offending them, don't we? But God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given us a spirit of selfishness. So let's, let's not be. The Holy Spirit makes his people prophets. He causes us to talk about Jesus. And when we do, we should expect curiosity. And we should expect some anger. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2, isn't it? That's how this crowd reacted, curiosity and anger. And that was stage 3. Now, stage four was the apostles' response to them, all right? So stage four is the apostles' response. All right, the crowd was shocked, and so the apostles had to respond. They had to talk. Verse 14 says this, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. This is something interesting. The apostles stood all together, all right? They stood as witnesses of Christ's resurrection. Now, Peter did act as their spokesman, But it is interesting that they were all standing together. And Peter explained that they weren't drunk. This is verses 14 and 15. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. All right, they weren't drunk. The third hour was 9 a.m. And then, in Peter's response, he reminded them of what God had promised. This is verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares. All right, hold on. Uh, Peter just said that the last days had started. And in other words, God was starting to end the world. And then he said what God would do at the end of the world. All right, this is verse 17. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. God had promised that before he ended the world, he would pour out his spirit on all of his people. And they would talk like Moses, the prophet of old. They would be empowered by God to know God's word and to speak God's word. And that is exactly, in this case, what was happening. Every person of that 120 were proclaiming that God had raised Jesus as both Lord and Messiah. And now, right now, the Holy Spirit of God rests upon every individual who trusts Jesus as their Savior. And so we, who trust Jesus, are empowered to tell people what God's done too. So if you're a Christian, listen, this text says you're a prophet. You are empowered by God to proclaim Jesus without shame. You're empowered by God to say what God's done in history. Namely, Jesus has risen. Jesus is Lord. So Christians, we're prophets. So let's prophesy. One easy way you can do this is just invite people to come to church with you. They will hear the gospel here. That's one of the things I love about ZF is that you're going to hear the gospel from up front probably about 17 times. You are not going to miss it. If there's a reason you wouldn't 
invite somebody to church, talk to the elders about that. You could do something like Deb Bissell is doing. She's, she's writing uh, three letters to some of her adult relatives to explain the gospel and to plead with them to come to Christ. You could do something like Drew is doing. He, he invited a guy who hasn't touched the Bible before to come read the Gospel of Mark with him. Pretty easy to do that, right? Hey, you want to read the Bible with me? Listen, every, every person who calls on the name of Jesus as Lord, we're actually all prophets. That's what Joel 2 says. We are empowered by God's Spirit. We're empowered to speak. And that's what was happening when this crowd gathered. Now, God had also promised when he sent his spirit that he'd do other things. And we see this in verses 9 to 20, 19 and 20. It says, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. All right, more on the signs and wonders in a minute. I want to ask the question, what, what's the point of all this? Well, the point's in verse 21. Verse 21 says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The point of all this is an invitation. Come worship the one real God. Call on his name. If you do, what this text says is when the world ends, you will be rescued. That is what the 120 in this room were proclaiming. That's what all Christians proclaim. So listen. Christians, we are prophets filled with the Holy Spirit to proclaim Jesus. So let's do it. So that is how the apostles responded. And in stage five, they actually gave their eyewitness testimony, all right? So stage five is their eyewitness testimony. Peter began in in verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. All right, remember verse 19? Joel had promised that that before God ended the world, he was going to do a bunch of signs and wonders and miracles. Well, Jesus did a bunch of signs and wonders and miracles. That's what it says right here. And the people knew this. They'd either seen it in person or they'd heard about it because it was public knowledge. People knew. But, they still had Jesus killed. So verse 23 says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. These people shouted crucify him at Jesus' trial. They got him killed. But so they wouldn't think they were pretty powerful, Peter did remind them that God had planned their actions. They, they had Jesus killed uh, because God planned it, and Jesus didn't stay dead. So verse 24 says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. God the Father raised Jesus, not just as an alive living person. He exalted him to his right hand as a living person who is in control of all the things. And then Peter called another witness to the stand. He called King David, Israel's greatest king and Jesus' ancestor. Jesus had to be raised, he said, because God had promised the Messiah wouldn't stay dead. He wouldn't be beaten by death. David had said this, and this is in verses 25 to 28. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will dwell in hope. 
Now listen, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. All right, here's a summary. God's with me. Death isn't going to get me. David was saying death would not conquer the Messiah. Well, how do we know that he was talking about the Messiah? Verse 29 says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Right, so, so David was dead. David is dead. This wasn't true of him. Verse 30 and 31 say this, Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Now, God had promised David that his descendant, the Messiah, would reign as king forever. This is in 2 Samuel 7. Death wouldn't be able to get this son of David who was coming. All right. Let's summarize the apostles' testimony so far. One, the people knew that Jesus had done some crazy miracles. Two, they knew that they had him killed. Three, they knew that God had promised that David's descendant would live forever. And then the apostles hit the crowd with this. It's verse 32. This Jesus God raised up and of that we all are witnesses. And mic drop. Peter said that the 12 of us saw this. It wasn't like one crazy guy hallucinating. The 12 of us actually saw this happen. All of us saw that. All right, so, so what should we do with that? Well, first of all, if, if you're here and you haven't yet decided to live under Jesus' lordship, first of all, we're so glad you're here. This is a great place to learn about what the Bible says about that. And what's going on in this chapter is this is evidence of what happened in real history. And so God to you is saying this. He's saying, believe it. And second, some, some of us in the room, we have doubts. And most Christians struggle with doubts at some points in their life. And, and this should help answer some of those doubts. And, and if you do have doubts or questions, please talk with someone who is up here afterwards. Come up, talk with me. I'll be up at the end of the service, but talk to somebody. And third thing we're to do with this is to remember this. Again, every Christian is a prophet. We're not eyewitnesses, but we do say what the eyewitnesses saw. Jesus is risen. All right, so that was stage five, all right, the eyewitness testimony. And so let's look at stage six. The apostles explained what was going on, all right? So stage six is the explanation. The apostles had testified Jesus has risen, but the question still remains, how does this connect to the, to the language miracle? Well, here's the apostles' explanation. It's in, it's in verse 33. It says, "...being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing." When God the Son became human, he gave up his rights as God. But after he had finished his work, God exalted him. And God the Father gave God the Son, God the Spirit. There was a relating between the three persons of the one God. And there's 
so much more I wish I could talk about there if we had time. But, but here's the important thing. The Spirit being poured out on the church, Jesus did that. That's the explanation. In other words, lest you be tempted to think Jesus has stopped doing stuff, no way. Jesus is just getting started. Now, Peter proved this from an Old Testament promise. He, he said that the Messiah's rule would endure. And this is verses 34 and 35. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So the Messiah would rule forever. And then Peter concluded, verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. God appointed Jesus as Lord of the world and as Savior of the world. He's Lord of the world, and that's why we sing songs like Crown Him with Many Crowns, the Lamb upon the Throne. Crown Him the Lord of Heaven, one with the Father known, one with the Spirit through Him given from yonder glorious throne. And also, God appointed the Son to be Messiah, to be Savior of the world. And, and that's why we sing things like this, uh, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Okay, so, so before we move on to what came next, what should we do with this? Right? The first, believe it. Know for certain. God has made him both Lord and Christ. Second, Again, if you know Jesus, you're a prophet. We're here to prophesy. To prophesy this, that Jesus, the Messiah, rose from the dead. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. It's a simple message. That's it. We, we don't need to have all the answers to all the questions. We're here to prophesy, and the message is pretty simple. All right, so the, the apostles had explained what was going on, and that was stage six. Stage seven is this. God saved more people. Stage seven is God saved more people. Now, now remember, Peter had just said this in verse 36. He said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter said to the crowd, uh, You murdered the Son of God, and now he's raised, and God's made him king and, and judge. So the, the crowd had a very logical response. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were rationally terrified. Would the risen Jesus send these people straight to hell? Or was there anything they could do? And then Peter said to them, verse 38, He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what's the solution to being under God's wrath, God's judgment? Let's stop rebelling, repent, submit to Christ, and also get baptized. Now, that literally means to, to be washed, to get a bath, to receive a bath from somebody else. In this case, it means to receive a bath from Jesus. When a person uh, receives baptism, they're actually talking to God. 
It says this early in the chapter, but they're, they're asking God for forgiveness. They're, they're talking to God when they're being baptized. You also see this in Colossians 2 and 1 Peter 3. So we, we talk to God when we're baptized. And there's a second thing that happens. God also talks to us. When you're baptized, God says to you, child, your sins are forgiven. When, when someone receives baptism, God is saying of that person the same thing that he said about his own son. This is the son that I love in whom I'm well pleased. So when you receive baptism or, or when you did receive baptism, it is a promise from God. It is God talking to you. This is my child that I love in whom I am as pleased as I am with Jesus. Baptism is God talking to us. So, two quick asides here. One, if you have repented and you haven't been baptized, you are missing out on a gift from God. Um, It's like leaving something unwrapped under the Christmas tree. And as someone who basically just wants video games for Christmas and thinks that all of the presents are video games, it's like leaving a video game unwrapped under the Christmas tree. Why would you do that? All right, second... If you have repented and have been baptized, know know that baptism is God's promise to you. It's God's promise that you stand before God totally clean, totally washed by the Son of God. All right, back to our text. Peter told the crowd, repent and be baptized. If they did, Jesus himself, their king and their judge, would be reconciled to them as their friend. And the promise wasn't just for them. So it says this in verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. The promise of eternal life wasn't just for this crowd. See, an ancient king, when they conquered their enemies, they wouldn't have just killed their enemies, they would have killed their families. And they would have killed their distant relatives. But Jesus isn't like that. Jesus instead came directly to his enemies through his spirit and offered forgiveness to them, to their children, to even their distant relatives. Now, he did say, who who is it that receives forgiveness and life in the Holy Spirit? The verses say that it's everyone God calls to himself. So God's call is important here. So I want you to think about this. if, if you're here and, and you think you're too far gone from God to be reconciled to Jesus, you're not. Because it, it doesn't depend on you. It depends on God's call. It depends on God's mercy. It doesn't depend on your, your willpower or your intellect. And for those of us who are repented, we are prophets. Again, we, we announce forgiveness. There's no one too far off. There's no one whose sins are too great or whose stubbornness is too strong that it will make God not God because it depends on the God who calls. So we should all, as Christians, say something like what Peter did in verse 40. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. We who have the Spirit say, Come and be rescued. Right? Come to salvation. 
Or in other words, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. We're prophets with a very simple message. Jesus the Messiah died. He was raised. He reigns. He's returning. So repent. By the way, he uh, raised, reigns, returning, repent. Look at that. Four R's. You might be able to remember that. That is what the 120 were proclaiming. Not because they were special. They weren't. They were proclaiming this because of the Holy Spirit, because of God himself. And then God did this. Verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So catch this. At this one point, right, a bunch of mostly no-names Proclaim Jesus as Lord. And then God made 3,000 people know their guilt. God drew 3,000 people to trust Jesus. He gave clemency to 3,000 people. God added 3,000 people to the church membership. God made 3,000 more people into prophets who would announce that Jesus is Lord. So, two things to note. One, God saves. God adds. Our responsibility? Prophesy. The second thing to note here is that the normal pattern is belief in Jesus, and then receiving baptism, and then becoming a church member, and then taking the Lord's Supper when we're together. Now, ZF isn't rigid about this, which I appreciate, but, but it is the normal pattern, and we should see that. Now, we see in this instance that, that God saved a ton of people, 3,000 people. And, and that's how our text ends. So Acts 2 is the advent of mission. It's the start of what Jesus has done. And it's the mission that we as a church still have. Let me summarize what happened. All right? Jesus rose into heaven. The people gathered to pray for the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave the Spirit. And then all these people just announced Jesus' resurrection and rule. The crowd gathered and had questions. The Spirit had Peter explain what was going on. And then Jesus made 3,000 of his enemies into his children. He gave them eternal life, and he made them prophets too. So, how should we respond in light of all this? Two things. Know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah. Just know it. Second, prophesy. We have the Spirit. He empowers us to talk about Jesus in public, despite consequences. So let's do it. And in light of those two things, let's ask God for help, shall we? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you raised Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are advancing your kingdom. So strengthen our faith in what you've done and help us proclaim Christ with both love and clarity. And it's because Jesus is our mediator and our Savior that we pray. Amen.